The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are talking about how the Brewers could have been the Mets this year. We will also discuss are the Buccaneers and Packers the top two teams in the NFC at the moment. We'll go through a couple other small Packer topics and we will get ready to look at the Big Ten as a whole as we start the Big Ten season with the Badgers and Ohio State. We're going to talk about it more at a larger, broader scope, see where everybody is as Big Ten play gets kind of cooking this week. Not everybody's playing a conference opponent, but I think it's a good time to get kind of a heat check, if you will, on the Big Ten. Before we get going, just a reminder, make sure that you're following along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Appreciate all that saw the Alan Lazard ayahuasca celebration that I posted on the TikTok yesterday. Uh, It's been going viral for my standards, which I like to, (laughs) I like to always caveat. I'm like, it's viral for me. I don't know about everybody else, but Really good numbers on that. Um, If you haven't seen it get involved, you're not on TikTok or you lurk on TikTok, you can follow me. I'm not going to follow you back. Like, if you don't have, like, you're not actually doing TikToks, which I get, um, feel free to just drop me a follow. I, we're like, I think seven away from 500. My goal is to get 500 by the start of the football season. Being only like two weeks off of that would be awesome to get that number. And then, the goal would be 750 then probably by Thanksgiving. So just kind of keep working, keep grinding. Um, and it's been exciting. So thank you for that support. Uh, thank you for the podcast support. Uh, the listens have been awesome uh, this month and it's a good time to remind you to leave a rating, leave a review so more people understand what we're doing here. Uh, make sure you're sharing it out on socials. Um, if there's anything I can do that would make it easier to share, let me know. Um, I can definitely help that out. I would love to provide you guys with more options. If that was be something you're interested in, just hit me up. Uh, Also, if you're somehow not subscribed, if you're new, if you're joining us from, you saw the ayahuasca video, you're like, oh, these guys have a podcast. That's awesome. Uh, Welcome. And this is what we have. And we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's waste no more time. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and how they could have been the New York Mets. So the New York Mets celebrated a postseason birth birth yesterday at American Family Field. Max Scherzer dominated. Uh, Corbin Burns kind of looked like his uneven second half self. Struggled with a big home run to Pete Alonso. That really was the difference in this baseball game. And the Mets celebrated with a champagne toast. They did not go crazy, which makes sense. Uh, they have bigger things, bigger fish to fry as they're trying to clinch the NL East from the Atlanta Braves, which is a absolute dogfight right now. And the Braves playing the Nationals means that the Mets have to increase the pressure on the Brewers. So the Brewers are a consequence of that. And they missed a golden opportunity without question last night when the Phillies and Padres both had off. The Brewers had an opportunity to win this game and get a half game back and they weren't able to do it. I realized that going up against Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer in back-to-back weeks is like, or back-to-back days, excuse me, is like dealing with a root canal that lasts five hours. Like that is not fun for any offense. And I'm sure facing Carlos Carrasco tonight is gonna feel like a brand new experience. It's gonna feel like having sex for the first time in 10 days. Like that's how that's gonna feel tonight when they face Cookie Carrasco, who isn't bad. Like he's had a good year, but it's not Scherzer, it's not Garrett Cole right so we'll see how the brewers succeed against him but they missed that golden opportunity yesterday and i thought the relief 
pitching was weird. I like, like you know, one of my bigger complaints with Craig Council is that Craig Council never thinks that his offense can win a baseball game. And he always pitches, you know, his second tier guys when the Brewers are losing, even when it's not necessarily a blowout. Like, I get Jake Cousins when it's five nothing. I don't get Justin Topo when it's five to two. Like when it's five to two, it's like, all right, let's bring in Brad Boxberger, let's bring in Hobie Milner, let's bring in one of the guys who can kind of steady the ship and potentially help out the Brewers. I understand there's rest. I I, I get like all of that, but at the same time, it's like it feels like a white flag versus just saying, all right, let's try it with one of our first tier guys to see if our offense can get it together. And if our offense can't get it together, maybe we wave the white flag and so on. But then the Brewers were able to, gave up two more runs. They lost seven to two and there you have it. But there's a real way that the Brewers could have been the Mets this year. I know that kind of sounds crazy because you're like, Charlie, one is the smallest market in baseball. One is New York, right? How the hell could these teams be so similar? It's actually kind of weird if you really kind of go through it and understand that the Brewers had a chance to be great this year and they failed to live up to expectations. I would argue that the Brewers are probably the most disappointing team in baseball this year. Uh, I think the only one that maybe comes close is the Toronto Blue Jays. The Charlotte White Sox, I guess, is the other answer, right? Uh, with the Tony LaRusso fiasco and the White Sox have all this talent. But I, I really think the Brewers played in a weak division and somehow didn't take advantage of it. The fact that the Brewers lost 13 games to the Pirates, Reds, and Cubs in July and August will forever haunt this team and is the sole reason why the Brewers are not going to be in the postseason. Even if you are able to win six more of those, you are in a prime position to be at least a wild card team or contend with the Cardinals for that NL Central division title. But the Brewers didn't take advantage of that. And the fact that they were a top five team to start the year in the power rankings world, which I know power rankings mean nothing, but that was the kind of expectations that people had on the Milwaukee Brewers, and they failed to live up to it. Instead, a team like the Mets took their spot. So could the Brewers have been the Mets? I say absolutely. If you look at the pitching, right, if we start there, yes, DeGrom and Scherzer are better pitchers, all right? No one's disputing that. They are top tier elite guys. But the Brewers probably had the best young pitching staff in all of baseball to start the year with a Cy Young and Corbin Burns, with a potential Cy Young and Brandon Woodruff, which an emerging talent in Freddie Peralta, an all-star last year, remember. Aaron Ashby seemed to be the guy who was next. Adrian Hauser was good enough for government work, and Eric Lauer was a pretty solid arm at the end of last year. What happened to that, that pitching staff? Well, I'll tell you, friend. Corbin Burns still pretty good. I mean, we talked about the second half was uneven. Brandon Woodruff was down for a month and a half. Freddie Peralta goes down with a significant shoulder injury and then really has not necessarily recovered from it, I think, in the way the Brewers have liked. They still think Freddie can pitch this season, which is great. Aaron Ashby finally coming off the aisle tonight to pitch. But Aaron Ashby, I don't think, has taken that step forward that we all expected him to do, like we've seen with the other guys. Adrian Hauser is one of the worst pitchers in baseball this year. He's been terrible. Uh, and, and who knows why, whether it's he's trying too hard because he needs to get paid next year, which I don't think the Brewers are going to do. He'll end up being on the Rangers or I'm trying to think of another team like Oakland Athletics, maybe like he'll find his way to a roster next year. Like he's he has the talent. 
but for some reason the Brewers are trying to make him a sinker ball pitcher when his fastball is really fucking good. Like I think it's kind of a mismanagement of Hauser, and I wonder if that's going to cost them in the long run. And I also think Hauser's good in the bullpen, and the Brewers just either refuse or Hauser refuses or whatever the hell's going on there. He is good in that, that spot, and Hauser has just been such a disappointment, probably right up there with the most disappointing Brewers. And then for Eric Lauer, Eric Lauer's had some really nice moments here and there, but Eric Lauer's a home run machine. Eric Lauer can't stop giving up home runs, especially on the road. So Eric Lauer's focus just isn't there. And yet Eric Lauer's the one complaining about, oh, we need answers about Josh Hader when look in the fucking mirror, bud. I realize he shoved against the Dodgers right after that, but Eric Lauer really did not necessarily have himself that great of a year. There were moments where it was good, but Eric Lauer kind of ended up being a third or fourth pitcher. And when you go to the Mets and you look at, besides the Grom and Scherzer, who also battled through injuries, mind you, you had Tywin Walker, who had a breakout season. I mean, Tywin Walker was always expected to be pretty good. Like, I believe he was an opening day starter for the Seattle Mariners a couple of years ago, had a bunch of injuries. Um, and but he's really kind of hit that level. Cookie Carrasco, who's pitching tonight, he's been really solid for the Mets. Uh, David Peterson hasn't been as good, but he's been a guy that has been able to sort of steady the ship here and there. Trevor Williams, same thing. So the like the Brewers have those guys. Like there's nothing to say that the Brewers couldn't have been the Mets from a pitching staff perspective. Like there is a alternate universe where we're talking about the Brewers and Mets as a potential NLDS matchup in the second round with those guys going up against it, with it being Burns and the Grom, with it being Scherzer and Woodruff, where it's just a complete dogfight for runs and the over-under is set at six and a half every playoff game. Because that, I think, was going to be the situation, but it didn't end up coming to fruition. And then if we go to the bullpen, which is not necessarily the Mets' strength, they still have a lights-out closer in Edwin Diaz. The Brewers had a lights-out closer in Josh Hader, who they decided to trade, which I can still defend in the sense that they were trying to cash out because they were worried that Hader was broken. Now, Hader has kind of come back to life in August, which is similar to the trends we've seen before with Josh Hader. And Josh Hader looks like the pitcher that we knew and loved in the early part of this season. So was that on the Brewers that they just panicked, that they just sort of said, all right, Hader's never coming back. We're not going to get this value in the offseason, so we have to trade Josh Hader now. And it completely tore apart the clubhouse. August was a direct relation to that. I'm willing to admit that. I was probably a little bit more on the side of, you know what, these guys are professionals. They get it. It's a business. I think there are relationships made. I think there is a real problem with how business is done and just what sort of the emotions of everything. And we'll get into that with another thing mentioned in this sort of comparison topic. But I, I really think the Brewers needed to do a better job of working with their players and understanding why we had to make this move or getting a temperature check from the leaders of the clubhouse like a Christian Yelich, like a Willie Adamas, like a Corbin Burns, who's Hater's best friend, or Brandon Woodruff, right? Maybe Brandon Woodruff, an impartial guy getting that opinions from those players and asking them how they feel and not just pulling the trigger. I don't think that happens in the NFL or in the NBA. Like I hate to cross sports, but I really don't think that the Packers are dealing anyone away without talking to Aaron Rodgers first or releasing somebody. Same with the NBA and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I really don't think the Bucs are doing anything 
that would make Giannis Antetokounmpo upset. That's what the Brewers should have done. They didn't do it. And so the Mets are able to have Edwin Diaz, who's been just this incredible closer. He has, you know, Timmy Trumpet, Narco, the whole thing. It's been great. Um, And the Mets have succeeded with that. Now their bullpen's a little shaky, and I think that's the one question mark for that team in October. And the Brewers still have Devin Williams, and it's worked out. And I think Devin Williams is a legitimate closer. But the Brewers have to learn their lesson from Hayter. And so I hope... That's something that the Brewers take away and say, all right, what are we going to do with Devin Williams? Should we pay him a little early? Should we get ahead of it before the arbitration? Should we work with Devin, you know, to kind of get to that point so we can avoid some of these mistakes? And then you go offensively. And offensively, there are two guys on the Mets who could be Brewers. Eduardo Escobar and Danny Vogelbach. Now, Danny Vogelbach did get traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's worth mentioning. But still... Vogelbach and Escobar could have easily been members of the Milwaukee Brewers and the Brewers decided to move the other way. Is this defensible? It is, but man, there's something to be said for veteran leadership, right? The Brewers don't have a ton of veterans on this roster. It's Andrew McCutcheon, it's Christian Yelich, it's Hunter Renfro, and then the, the bottom kind of drops off from an offensive perspective. There are not a lot of guys who have, quote unquote, been there before. Roddy Telez, while good, is still kind of in his early stage of his career. Now, I think we can all agree that Roddy Telez was a better option than Daniel Vogelbach. And to have Rowdy and Dan on the team together didn't really make sense. Both are big barreling first basemen. Both really can't move from a speed perspective. Both can't really play another position besides first base. Both are left-handed. There was really no reason to keep Daniel Vogelbach. But that said, Daniel Vogelbach was extremely well-liked in that clubhouse. Daniel Vogelbach was a guy that a lot of people loved. And anything you hear about Daniel Vogelbach is that he is a great fucking dude. So I think that goes back to our comment about Hayter where I think it needed to be a clubhouse sort of thing where they're checking in with their leaders amid... Andrew McCutcheon, who they hadn't signed, but like, well, Woodruff and Yelich, and, you know, a group, it could be a group text. It could be, you know, a FaceTime, and it could be like, look, guys, the reason we can't keep Dan is because he's exactly like Rowdy, and we need to kind of diversify our bench. I think that is entirely understandable. I don't think anyone is going to take that away. Eduardo Escobar, I don't think Craig Council was that big of a fan of. Remember, Escobar didn't play that much down the stretch. Like, for a guy they brought in on the trade deadline, like, we did not see a ton of Eduardo Escobar last season, and which was kind of puzzling. And I don't know if that was a Craig Council thing, if that was a Brewer analytic thing, but it was really bizarre that this guy we traded for, and we traded for nothing. It was like Cooper Hummel, like, who the fuck is that? But still, like, we did not see a ton of Escobar. And even though... Luis Urias has like a 2.7 war, which is crazy. But I think that's more because the Brewers don't have a ton at third base. I think I still would have rather had Eduardo Escobar for $10 million being the starter and finding maybe an answer for Luis Urias and making a move for another bat. You could have basically made a package of Castanjera and Luis Urias and probably got a bit better bat than Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon's been all right, but... I think the slumps have been very frustrating, right? You've had moments where Andrew McCutcheon's hotter than a pistol, but you have had, like, I don't know, when's the last meaningful Andrew McCutcheon hit 
I don't think it's happened in the month of fucking September. I really don't. So, and then the last part of this all is the Brewers don't have an MVP player on their team. And the Mets do. Pete Alonso is not going to win MVP, but he is a guy that is feared every time he's at the plate. We saw it on Monday night with the three-run homer. And that was supposed to be Christian Yelich. And Christian Yelich just isn't that dude anymore. So the Brewers need to find a way to get that guy offensively. I'm not saying go out and sign Norlin Arenado, Trey Turner, Aaron Judge. I love any of those guys. I had a guy at the Brewer game when I was getting beers. He was a little tuned up. He's like, wait till Aaron Judge is a Brewer next year. He was joking. But I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Like We're just cornering the market on great Aaron's in, in sports with a Rodgers and Judge. He's like, yeah, the Buck. I was like, Bucks need an Aaron now. Um, so anyways, uh, good little joke among Brewer fans. But yeah, the Brewers do need a superstar. Like they need a superstar bat. Christian Yelich is not a superstar bat, all right? Like I like Christian Yelich. I love Christian Yelich. I think this has been a B minus B season for Christian Yelich. I think the fact that he's a consistent 260 hitter getting big hits here and there, I wouldn't say as much, but I think the pressure has kind of relieved a little bit from Yelich. Um, and so we're starting to see that more and more. I think Christian Yelich, though, is a guy that is not at that level anymore. And so that's where the Brewers need to be aggressive. And if the Brewers need to blow the bank for an Ar- Nolan Arenado, I mean, fucking do it. I don't think they will. I really don't. Like, I, I just don't think the Brewers can afford that. I think it would be hilarious for those who are so critical of Mark Ananasio if the Brewers did do that. But they need a Pete Alonso. Every team that's successful and that is in the playoffs right now, besides maybe the Tampa Bay Rays, has a superstar. But the Rays are so unique that I like. I just do not see the Brewers. Everyone tries to copy the Rays model and it just doesn't fucking work. The Red Sox kind of tried to do it. Didn't work. The Brewers have tried to kind of do it. It doesn't really work. The Rays have such a unique roster. And it, it's very fascinating to watch. But I also look at the Rays and I don't see them as a World Series contender at the moment. To, to play this out of saying MVP-like candidates for every team, you have Judge, who's obviously for the Yankees. Toronto, you have Vladimir Guerrero, but you could also say Bo Bichette has had those moments this last month. He's been great. But they have a lot of guys who you look at for a big hit or to get hot, and they can basically carry the team. Bichette, George Springer, Guerrero, as mentioned. Seattle has Julio Rodriguez, one of the best young pit players. And Mario Suarez was free this offseason. Like the Brewers could have easily made a deal for Jesse Winker, who hasn't been that good, and Eugenio Suarez this offseason to the Cincinnati Reds. And Suarez, who absolutely fucking mashed at American Family Field, they couldn't have added Suarez and, and 30 home runs. I realize he doesn't have that great of an average, but you're telling me that they couldn't have had him for Luis Urias Kasten Hira and maybe some no-name pitcher, you're telling me that could not have happened this year? I think it absolutely could. And Suarez was a throw-in with Winker. Like, maybe Winker goes to the Mariners and the Brewers acquire Suarez. But again, there was not that due diligence. And Suarez is exactly the kind of big bat that could help the Brewers in their lineup that goes just beyond Rowdy Tellez. Like, Rowdy Tellez and Willie are a solid 1-2 but I, I don't consider them like MVP level guys. And maybe Suarez is a little bit little bit intense and he's not at that level. But still, like that's that's the type of move 
that could have really helped your offense and really could have pushed you forward. And similarly with, you know, we, we don't have to go through everybody, but it's like Jose Ramirez, it's Jordan Alvarez, it's Paul Goldschmidt, it's Nolan Arenado, Ronald Acuna, any, name any Braves player, really. Uh, you know, the Dodgers have a ton. It's like the Brewers have Christian Yelich, but he is not a superstar, all right? And he just isn't, and that's okay. And maybe the Brewers will find that. And maybe this is exactly what this team needs. I think they have one more run in them before there is a pseudo rebuild of it. Like if Corbin Burns is really unhappy, fucking trade his ass. Get a ton of value for it. Get guys that are ready to play. If that's the case, then that's fine. If Burns is going to be an asshole about his contract, I don't really want to deal with another mopey player. I don't really want mopey attitudes. Uh, we'll see what happens with Craig Council. My dad has a great prediction that Council is going to move into the front office and that they'll get a new guy in there. Because Council, remember, started in the front office with Doug Melvin. And I could see a Steve Kerr-like move for the Brewers manager. We'll have to see. But yes, the Brewers are in a position where they probably are not going to make the playoffs. Um, I'm not counseling. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say that. I'm just looking at the playoff odds. They have a 20% chance. It's going to take, um, I wouldn't say a miracle, but it's going to take something really special in the next few weeks. And they have to win. I think tonight's a must win. I, I really do. I'll call it. I think tonight is a must win. You, ha- you cannot get swept at this point of the year. And so to get a game, that's important. I realize that if they lose tonight, they still could win Wednesday. But then it's even more important. The good news is the Phillies play the Blue Jays. The Padres play the Cardinals. They play two two very good teams. So there is an opportunity where the Brewers could succeed or get that half game back that they lost on Monday night. But I just wish we were not going through a playoff chase and that it was a NL Central division winner Brewers like we've seen in the last couple of years. All right, that went long. Uh, that was a little longer of a topic, but that's okay. Uh, I thought it was a good deep dive on what could have been for the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's start with, let's move on to the Packers and Buccaneers. So the Packers and Buccaneers are getting ready for their first matchup since the NFC Championship game in 2020 at Lambeau, where the Buccaneers were successful. The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. As I, I or not, yeah, they did win the Super Bowl. As I've said, before, and I'll say it again, which I know you guys hate, if David Bakhtiari was there, the Packers would have won that game. That's a fact, all right? Now, are the Buccaneers and Packers the two best teams in the NFC right now? It's probably way too early to have this discussion, but because these are two teams that should be in the playoffs, that should be there at the end of the season, are these the best two teams right now in the NFC? I do not think so. I look at what the Philadelphia Eagles did last night. I look at what the Philadelphia Eagles did against the Lions. Now, granted, they let the Lions sneak back in, but the Lions are ankle biters, and they never really seem to quit with Dan Campbell. The Eagles are a juggernaut. They are very good. The the hype is real, right? For everybody who was laying Super Bowl picks with them, for everyone who said the Eagles could have the best record in the NFC, they are right. They have turned Jalen Hurts into a competent NFL quarterback, which I didn't think was possible. I thought Jalen Hurts was mid-tier guy at best. I thought, you know, if he struggled this year, they might look elsewhere. And no, the Jalen Hurts is legit. And 
They do enough. They manage his running. I don't think it's as significant as maybe what Kyle Shanahan does. I think Nick Sirianni, while he's kind of a unique individual and a little bit of a cheese ball, he's a good fucking NFL coach. And I think right now, if you're power ranking the NFC, you have to put the Eagles on top, at least for the moment. And I think you have to tick up the San Francisco 49ers. Like, it sounds kind of morbid and macabre, but like, Jimmy G is the best thing for the Niners 40, for the Niners' best Super Bowl chance. Like, them getting Jimmy G back concerned me. Like, as someone who I was looking at this, I was like, fuck. Jimmy G, now a member of the starting lineup for the, the 49ers with the Trey Lance injury. And now I look at the Niners as a legitimate Super Bowl contender again. I did not consider them that with Trey Lance. I may have changed that position had Lance had a good first six weeks. But right now, I look at the Niners like I did last year. So now I'm worried again about the Niners. And you look at some of the teams that were expected to be the top dogs in the NFC, Green Bay Packers, I I don't think the jury is still out on the Green Bay Packers. I really don't. I think the Packers are going to be just fine. I think there's a real world where they can be 5-2 and uh, by Halloween uh, if they were to lose to the Buccaneers or maybe they lose to the Giants. But I will say their schedule has gotten harder. And sometimes we see this in the NFL, where sometimes schedules get easier. I think their schedule has got harder. I mean, the Patriots, I think, are is a game that should win next week. But then you have the Giants in London. I think that's a chance for something wacky to happen, right? Last time the Packers played a neutral site game, they lost by 35 points. So that has to be taken in consideration. The Giants, you know, could kind of make a statement. They play the Cowboys on Monday night, which I think is their first chance for a statement, but then they could double down to say, we are for real, two weeks later in London. Then you have the game against Jets where Robert Salah has been really good against Aaron Rodgers in his career. Now, granted, Salah does not have the dogs that he did you know, in San Francisco, but Salah has frustrated Rodgers in the past. Now, granted, there's a lot of relationship there with LaFleur, uh, his brother there, but still the Jets have looked competent so far, right? Now, you, Buffalo's looked like an absolute monster, best team in the NFL by four through two weeks. I mean, I think the Buffalo overreactions are going to be, you know, out of this world. I wouldn't be surprised if I get on the treadmill this, this morning and Stephen A is talking about if the Buffalo Bills can go undefeated. This would not surprise me in the slightest. I almost would bet that, that there will be a conversation about that, even though it's two weeks into the fucking season. But the Packers have to go to Buffalo on a Sunday night, on Halloween. That's going to be difficult. They have to go to Philadelphia after Thanksgiving a month later on a Sunday night. Like that, those don't get easy. Like, so the Lions in between a Buffalo and Dallas game, the Lions are going to be difficult, right? This is a very tough schedule for the Green Bay Packers. They're they're maybe the only easy quote-unquote week is Washington, but the Packers haven't played well there. So I, I don't look at that as like, this layup, or I guess the Tennessee Titans, right, on, on a Thursday night. Like, that's another game where it looks a lot easier than previously believed. So Washington and Tennessee are there, but, man, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy for the Packers. So that puts a little bit more pressure on this game. And it does make you wonder where do the Packers rank in the hierarchy. And I think I would probably put them second behind the Eagles. And i put the Buccaneers three or four. I still have a ton of questions about Tampa, right? I mean, Tampa only had three points heading in. I, I think it was right. Like three points heading into the fourth quarter against New Orleans, who is another team that I'm kind of out on. 
Like Tampa's offense is really struggling. And now you lose Mike Evans, which we're going to talk about here in a second. You lose Mike Evans for this game. You do sign Cole Beasley from the practice. Like, how, is Cole Beasley going to be ready to go right away? You'll have Packer fans being like, whoa, we should have got Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's fucking a older Randall Cobb and a, I think a worse Randall Cobb. So shut the fuck up if that's kind of your opinion on the signing of Cole Beasley. I just look at this and I, I I think the Buccaneers are not the team that I think people want them to be. I, I They haven't really been put in a pressure situation just yet from a late game scenario perspective for Todd Bowles. Their kicking game is okay. Like Ryan Suckup is not necessarily the kicker that I think you'd want it to be. Uh, Tom Brady is looking a little bit old. Now they can run the football with Leonard Fournette. Packers have had trouble stopping the run. Their defense is really solid, but can they get by with defense against elite level quarterback play? Remember, they've played Dak Prescott, who is, I think, Kirk Cousins. I don't think Dak Prescott's that great. And Jameis Winston. Now they get tested with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes in back-to-back weeks. I like to see what the Buccaneers look like. There's also probably less of an emphasis on Tampa to win with them being 2-0. They could easily drop the Packer and Chiefs game and be 2-2. And I think no one would think anything of it. But so we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm not ready to call these two teams the best two teams in the NFC. I think the Eagles deserve that right. I think you look at what the Eagles have done so far. And that to me is the team that I would put, you know, at the top. Now I know some of this might be recency bias with Monday Night Football being last night. Ryan Rossella loves to say how those primetime games hype up these these teams, and I guess for good reason, right? Like the Eagles have been really solid, uh, and the Bills have been great. Now I saw I forget he has a long last name. I apologize. He writes the leap with Pete Bukowski. It's like J. Oh fuck, I, I, it's Jason. It's like Jason H, we'll just say Jason H, uh, wrote about how the Packers should have traded for AJ, AJ Brown and should have used that pick instead of Quay Walker. Look, man, I I don't know. AJ Brown's really good, all right? Like AJ Brown's a very talented player and AJ Brown could have made the Packers really good on an offensive level. That said, I felt like Quay Walker was kind of needed on this roster. The Packers needed that rangy linebacker. For as good as Devondre Campbell was, he wasn't a rangy linebacker. We struggled against running quarterbacks. And the reason why we have Quay Walker is to contain guys like Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, who we'll see Josh Allen, right? Like that's going to that's why Quay Walker is there. Quay Walker is there to prevent those running quarterbacks. And I think it's going to help out in the long run. I understand the consternation. I understand that they had a pick available that they could have given the Tennessee that was right around where the Eagles were picking. That deal could have been done and the Packers decided not to do it. And A.J. Brown would have gone a long way with Aaron Rodgers, but I do think the receivers they have are going to work out in the long run. I'm not worried about that. I, I don't know if A.J. Brown... I shouldn't say that. I think A.J. Brown would have took the Packers to another level, but I think they can still get to that Super Bowl level without him, if that makes sense. Uh, because I And I think part of it is they want to focus on running the football. And so we'll see if they're able to do that against a formerly stout Bucks run defense. Hasn't been that way this year, so we'll have to see there. But we'll talk more about storylines tomorrow as our kind of our weekly... Tuesday show where we break down some of the biggest storylines of the week. 
If they're too similar, by the way, this is a little aside. If they're too similar to the importance rankings, please let me know. I think they're different in my opinion, but I could obviously see how they would be similar. Uh, so we will try and if, yeah, there's a little bit of overlap. I'm happy to tweak that for the people. Last couple of quick hitters on Packers. Uh, the conspiracy theory about Mike Evans. Um, the fact that Mike Evans got suspended because John Runyon, uh, his dad, John Runyon Jr. John Runyon, John Runyon, John Runyon Jr.'s dad. There we go. A lot of John Runyons. Uh, is the guy that handed out the suspension is so broken brained, so conspiracy. Like we just need to like touch some grass, okay? Like just get outside for a little while, breathe some fresh air. Like Mike Evans made a scumbag play. Mike Evans ran, basically ran onto the field, was off the field, ran on the field and laid out uh, Marshawn Lattimore. Like Mike Evans made a move that was not a football move and he's a repeat offender. It's pretty easy to see why Mike Evans was suspended from the game against the Green Bay Packers, okay? I don't think the Shield would want to take away one of the best players from potentially their marquee game this week. Although I would say Bill Zolfins is getting to that level. I think Bill Simmons called a shot yesterday when they were doing Gus the Lines and said that was the game to watch. I think Nance and Romo are going to be at Bill's Dolphins. Like they can't be at Chiefs Colts. Like you have to put Nance Romo at Bill's Dolphins and Bill's Dolphins needs to be like the premier CBS game of the weekend. Like we need Bill's Dolphins here in Milwaukee, not Chiefs Colts, but we'll probably get Chiefs Colts, which I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to get Patrick Mahomes, okay? Like I'll, I'll take Patrick Mahomes if I have to. I, the last thing I'll say about the quick hitters of the Packers moving from Evans, um, man, this Minnesota loss looks kind of bad. Like, Minnesota was terrible last night. Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, who's a, I think he's going to get some coaching looks next year. He doesn't do stuff that is that dissimilar from what we see from Joe Barry. Like, he's not running a ton of different shit. Like, I don't understand why the Packers couldn't have run something similar. I think it goes back to Barry sort of being overconfident about his plan against the Vikings. I think part of it was he didn't face Kirk Cousins the second time around at Lambeau. Kirk Cousins, I think it was hurt. I don't think it was COVID. I think he was hurt, but maybe it was COVID. I can't remember. Yeah, was it COVID? But whatever. Kirk Cousins did not play at Lambeau Field. So I think Barry ran something similar. It's like, well, this worked the second time. Like, why? You know, whatever. And I think Barry just got caught with his pants down. And they just really need to figure out how to play Minnesota better. And I think they will have a better plan going forward. Um, Kirk Cousins also was in primetime and the guy just completely crumbles um, and it was it was bad. So I'm very curious to see what we get out of Kirk Cousins going forward. Like I, I, I think this is an issue, right? How can you put, how can you trust Kirk Cousins to deliver in the biggest moments? Because the guy has shown time and again that he gets way too wound up. Uh, some really bad interceptions and Darius Slay was really good on Justin Jefferson and I think it adds more fuel and more evidence to Jair Alexander. So we'll see if, you know, Chris Godwin or Julio Jones were to play, would you put Jair Alexander on him and not let Tom Brady pick you apart? I think for the Packers with Tom Brady, you have to just pressure the shit out of him. I think you unleash Quay Walker. I think you send Quay Walker on an early blitz. Like that... That is one of the things I want to see and probably will make the importance rankings is like how much will the Packers blitz? Because when Mike Patton started blitzing in that 2020 game, 
it completely changed the dynamic of that football game. And I know Matt LaFleur, even though it's a different regime, I know Matt LaFleur was still there, right? It's the same regime with Matt LaFleur. And I think Matt LaFleur is going to look at that and say, we need to bring the pressure. We need to bring the noise with not just our edge guys, but we need to send Campbell. We need to send Quay. We need to add another guy. Maybe it's Garvin. Maybe we bring up Savage for a blitz or something like that. Like frustrate the fuck out of Tom Brady. And he's not going to succeed. Remember, Dallas... Might you know Dallas obviously lost nineteen to three. It was more about their offense though, right? They held they held the Buccaneers to three field goals before they finally or four field goals before they finally got in the end zone with Mike Evans. It's not like the Packers couldn't do that again. Like they can definitely bend don't break with, with against Brady and the pressure needs to be dialed up. So we'll talk more about that as the week goes on. I'm excited for this game, but weirdly I'm kind of not as much as I was. We'll talk about that with Mitch on uh, Thursday, see what he thinks. Maybe that'll be part of the storylines too. Who knows, right? You got a lot of Packer content coming in your earlobes in the next few weeks. Man, this is a long show. I could have only done two segments. Uh, Let's do the Big Ten quickly uh, as we get ready for Badgers Ohio State. We're going to do a lot more on that as the week goes on, so make sure that you're listening to that if you are a Badger fan. It is a very big Badger game. Uh, I actually think this is a tease. I think it's one of the most important Badger games in the last couple of years uh, for Wisconsin. So the Big Ten is getting ready to kind of kick off their season next week. Uh, Like I said, we have most of the teams playing against each other on Saturday in week number four of the college football season. And it has been a good college football year. I think week three was a little bit wasn't that great, uh, but that's okay. Uh, the first two weeks were awesome, and all the games this week have the makings to be an awesome week number four. But in the Big Ten alone, you have Wisconsin, Ohio State, you have Maryland, Michigan, you have Minnesota, Michigan State, you have Iowa, Rutgers, and you and then there's some games, there's some non-conference games mixed in. Uh, Illinois playing Chattanooga, uh, Penn State playing Central Michigan, Indiana heading to Cincinnati. Miami of Ohio heading to Northwestern and Florida Atlantic playing Purdue. Uh, so it's it's kind of uneven. It's a little bit of both, but it's we still I think have a good idea of what the Big Ten might look like. And to look at that conference so far, it's it's interesting, right? Uh, I think there are some teams I look at and I say, all right, are they real? I think Michigan is the biggest one. Michigan's played complete cupcakes. So far this year, I actually kind of like Maryland plus the 17 this week, and I'll be curious to watch that game. To me, that's one of those on my radar because it's like, all right, if Michigan goes and dump trucks Maryland, I don't think Maryland is a top tier team in the Big Ten, but they could be a bull team. And Maryland, the Maryland-Wisconsin game might be a little more tough because Maryland can absolutely push the ball downfield. They are an electric offense with not that great defensively. Rutgers is 3-0. Rutgers has barely allowed any points. Their defense is really cooking. Chiano, you know, knows what he's doing there. I think the jury's still out on Michigan State. I think Michigan State is the one team I look at and I've reset sort of expectations on. I think if there's a team that might take a step back this year, it's Michigan State. I think Penn State's massively underrated. I don't really like Sean Clifford. I don't think Sean Clifford is that great of a quarterback. But the fact of the matter is, is they went into Purdue, found a way to beat Purdue, then blow out an Auburn team who's not that good, but still went into Auburn, went into SEC country and pulled down their pants and beat the fucking shit out of them. All right. So I, I can't, I can't take that away from Penn State. 
And I think Penn State's lurking. And I think they're a team that it would not surprise me if Penn State puts themselves in the race for a potential playoff spot. I have to think about Minnesota, okay? Like, I understand Minnesota has beat nobody. And I, and I think the Minnesota-Michigan State game is a fascinating football game. Like, I look at that one, and I think we'll know so much more about both teams. Minnesota comes out and wins on the road at Michigan State. You have to look at, at Minnesota as the Big Ten West top team at this moment. I know that pains Badger fans, but look, they have so many guys back. They have their offensive coordinator back. They are kind of cooking with peanut oil right now. But if Minnesota, you know, trips on their dick, as we like to say, in Michigan State and in East Ladsing, then it's like, okay, it's not the team we thought they were. Uh, Wisconsin, jury's still out. I think we'll talk more about the Badgers. Iowa, I mean, what's that offense, right? They have scored 41 points so far this season. Now they've only allowed 13, so that's the, the positive. But they have one loss. So what's that? Is that offense going to come to life in the Big Ten? I'm not. I'm unsure. Illinois does have a Big Ten loss. They lost to Indiana, but that defense is nasty. Like that's a good defense. They're going to frustrate teams. I'm not sure what we're doing with Purdue. Uh, Purdue just kind of looks like they've they've looked the last few years, where they're going to score points, but they're also going to give up a lot. And that to me isn't the recipe for success in the Big Ten. Nebraska is what we've seen the last couple of years. I, I you can't take Nebraska seriously. And Northwestern just lost to an FCS team. So Big Ten West really is Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and everybody else. I think Illinois could join that party, uh, but I need to see it against a good team. I need to see Illinois beat uh, if they you know if they beat Wisconsin right uh, you know in two weeks, which I think is a really tough game for Wisconsin because you go from Ohio State. And you have to play Brett Bielema, who's going to have some juice returning to Camp Randall. And while I think the Bielema-Badger relationship is a lot better than it was in the state classy days, shout out to Jim Bielema, I I still think there's some juice there. I still think there's some fire there. And I know Bielema is going to want to win that game. And the Badgers have to be ready for that one. And it's a 11 a.m. start after a primetime game the week before. It's going to be a different environment, right? So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, Big Ten's good. Uh, I think the Big Ten is a little bit better than we even might have thought. I know the Big Ten West is maybe the the redheaded stepchild, but the Big Ten East is really solid. And I think if Minnesota merges, I think you have a three-team race. And again, if Illinois joins the party, maybe a four-team race. We'll have to see. But yeah, it should be fun. Like I said, we're going to talk more about Wisconsin-Ohio State as the week goes on. All right, that does it for our show. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Make sure that you're rating and reviewing uh, if you like what you heard. If you are new because of the Alan Lazard TikTok video we posted, uh, tapping the keg sports uh, on TikTok, uh, if you haven't got in yet, um, make sure that you're subscribing, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. uh, And we will talk tomorrow. We'll do storylines and who knows what else comes across the wire. All right, take care. Take care, guys. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow.